Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. In the culture war, there are no winners, just podcasters. Only a few are willing to risk their lives in the face of some of the dumbest ideas to have ever captured human civilization. Every week, we, Megan Dom and Sarah Hader, humbly accept this mission in order to bring you conversations that are equal parts bewitching, haunting, and spooky. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Halloween, Megan. What are you going as? I'm I'm going as a podcaster. Oh, that is scary. See, I'm already in my outfit. That's horrifying, actually. It is. <laughs> it's it's actually a violence. I might and this children run screaming in the other direction because they say this could be your future, kids. Yeah. If you don't study, you're gonna end up being a, a laptop jockey, uh just recording conversations all day begging people to sign up for your Substack, and yeah. Substack. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, we have a Patreon now, which yeah. is, um, which is new. We were, uh, only on Substack, uh, and we have a community on Substack, which is great. So you should still go to Substack if you want to subscribe and get the, um, bonus episodes, but we also have a Patreon now. Uh, you can find us there by just searching our name on Patreon, or you could do, you know, patreon.com slash a special place in hell pod. So you can do that as well. If that's easier. Who does that? Who like writes in the whole address? I don't think any, I don't know anyone. Who oh, that. like know. But you just right? Google it, right? You just Google it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but people are, um, people are, are, you know, do different things. Who was just telling me, wait, were we talking about this? Like, just googling things and somebody said i wouldn't know oh yeah i think you and i were talking about this like people should learn how to change a tire because otherwise they're stuck at the side of the road googling how to change a tire yeah yeah you said that's that what i did well that's that is I insane i think we, we started talking about this after we stopped recording last is time it? it's wonderful because, because like, it's like you watch a video of some guy I who's know, like, this is like, what you do and you're like the, hmm, great thanks and the cars are whizzing past you and you're well, like on the shoulder of the freeway and you're sitting there desperately typing in youtube on your phone how to change if i wasn't if i wasn't looking it up on my phone then i would have be calling somebody who would be you know coming from who knows where yeah. what part of town to help me You'd be uh, so it would it would be I would be waiting anyway, and this is a I mean it's like a self help it's it, it's great because you can help yourself you can find out just about anything. I actually met people who like um okay so if, if you're in like the DIY community like you like to do like home this maintenance is a and, like improvement oh there's like, I mean there are DIY many communities. communities many communities depending on what kind of DIY you're interested in, but um there are just whole YouTube channels that are devoted to like teaching you how to do like woodworking and painting and all these kinds okay. of things and you can just become a master okay. at anything you used to have to go to a community college and be taught by <laughs> you know some random person who so it's <laughs> from like community college to community okay to community and to some great videos and some great content and you can just become kind of a little little expert i i know somebody who was a homesteader i met some well i don't <laughs> know this person very well i met them who was a homesteader um and he basically like taught himself how to do everything from youtube 
Well, he didn't know. I mean, it was like a survival thing. Like he was going to die. He was in the that's middle of nowhere. That's how the original homesteaders learned how to do things. YouTube. Yeah. Uh, what if people had YouTube? All all you that know, farmland and- that was, you know, developed in the Dakotas and, the, you know, the madness, the prairie, all, all, all that, you know, the Donner Party. When the Donner Party was crossing, you know, the 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 country and they had to start finally eating each other they had to actually look up on youtube cannibalism how do we survive how to this? cook how to cook a human how to cook your your fellow traveler yeah yeah i mean some Did good you, recipes so i read a long time ago is this bullshit and you tell me that human tastes like um pork oh i thought you were like roast chicken. pork no not chicken pork like, like it, it, I read it's not this something they like told you in your culture book. growing up. No, no I, I read I, this in a... Don't, don't listen, little Muslim kids. Don't okay. eat pork because it tastes like human. Well, listen, listen. Um, I, I read this. I think it was in a Christopher Hitchens book. I think it might have been like God is not great or something. Where he, where he wrote about this, and I don't know where he's getting this, this from, but, but evidently in you know, uh, more in cannibalistic cultures like papua new guinea or whatever like um where they would eat where they would have ceremonies where they would eat like people they would also eat pigs and they would call like people meat long pig and because because it was so similar in like the flavor profile they kind of go together they're like complementary. oh Um, nice pairing and so his theory was that that's why it was um that that's why there was a prohibition that developed um of eating pork because it was associated oh. with with cannibalism way back in the day and then that just you know that knowledge just got passed down and it turned into like a taboo that we don't know why hmm. why it is what it is i don't know if this is real but well, i it doesn't find it matter fun. and and i wonder if like firefighters would know wouldn't they like you could <laughs> <laughs> because they at the firehouse they eat they, they their candles. No, they, they I thought they just cooked spaghetti, like baked human. Oh you gosh, know, like they know. No, too soon, Sarah. Too soon. Too soon. Sorry, we're not going to get into that okay, right now. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, I mean, for next time, pigs are very smart. Um, mm-hmm. And I do. I I love. I feel really bad when I uh, eat. Like I go to the supermarket and I I have like a struggle session with myself sometimes about buying because like, they're like pork products. If you knew they were. Is that is it a sentience issue? Like, is that that's what's preventing you from like um, not being a vegan? Is that you you think that they're like not that? I don't know what it is. Able? It is really bad. I mean, I do. I actually um, remember when we had Diana Fleischman on, and she was talking about like you know the different cruelty, like the the sort of cruelty quotient with different animals mm-hmm. or maybe she was talking mm-hmm. about she came on the unspeakable too but i remember yeah she that, talked was, that about, was your episode, yeah but i think I didn't think, but... she also talk about like you know there's this thing where they're actually growing meat it's not plant-based meat but they take you know you know about this i'm sure this is this is like your crowd your friends all talk lab, about this kind lab of grown meat, yeah. lab grown meat i yeah. think it's great i think have you great. had it have you tasted no it? but i i'm so for this technology I haven't had the opportunity to have it yet. Um, and I do want to wait a little bit. You know, I don't like trust the I don't trust new technologies like super yeah. easily. I just want them to test it out on other people, see how it goes, whether they develop cancers. And oh. then once we know it's safe, <laughs> have to wait a long like, time. you know, when we know it's 10 years down the road, I think it'll be like we'll, we'll be sure about how things go. And I'm, I'm very um, excited about this technology because I feel like anytime I look into the ethical 
like, you know, all the ethical claims of vegans and vegetarians, I feel very pulled to their side. And yeah. I just don't even look at no, I mean, factory this is, farming. This is one of the things where it's like, I don't want to look at it. I don't, don't yeah, tell me about me it. I don't want to know it because then I'll have to be a vegan. Um, and I can't live like that. No, no <laughs> I, just, I like bacon. I, don't, I, I don't, know. Uh, yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, I think, uh, it's, it's all, I, I it's all going to be, um, whatever Brett Weinstein it's gonna be, says it's gonna about be lab grown. it. If Brett We're Weinstein have says all kinds it's of safe, grown meat. I'm going to yeah. eat it. And then, and then I think that that'll be like a really interesting new world for like religious people, you know, for are, can, can Jews have, you know, any kind of meat now, you know, can they can Muslims make have any kind of meat because they can make, right. They can right from the beginning, you can make it. Is there, is there now a problem in eating certain kinds of meat if they don't come from that animal? Um, specifically, if they could just come from a muscle <laughs> that, gonna, you know, I mean, belong to that animal. Yeah. And now it's like, will, will pork become halal is what I'm, I'm curious about. And I think it, it's possible that it could because the justification for it has to do with the literal animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you take it away from that, I think it might, might change things. So that might be really interesting. And I wonder also, but then can you have human meat for the same reason? You know what I mean? Like somebody, you know, for some reason donates a part of their like muscle or whatever. I don't know what they do, but now you use to a to farm grow, to table restaurant, like a human, like buttocks or whatever. And then mm. you can, and then you, what do you do? You do like a pulled pork situation. Like, do you <laughs> like, but you can't, you know, you can, and it's actual human meat. Um, or even things like I, I remember I posted this like on Twitter a while back and people got really upset and disturbed and I completely understand why they would. Cause it is a That's, upsetting and disturbing question, culture. but I asked if <laughs> I asked if, you know, um, human breast milk became available and it's not coming from a human, but it is human breast milk. Would you just would you order it? Mm-hmm. Like, would you, would you like buy it at the supermarket? You know, like oat milk, rice milk, whatever. Like there's all these, there's all these options. Mm-hmm. Presumably human breast milk must be the best kind of breast milk for us. You know? Well, I mean, that's kind must of go what along well formula was supposed to be. Yeah. Right? yeah. 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 But then if you can get actual, I mean, undoubtedly we'll develop that ability too. And we'll be able to make like genuine human breast milk, but it just doesn't come from a real live human. Do they sell um, human breast milk though? There must be a market for that. They do, and so that's. I mean, and you know, like bodybuilders buy it. <laughs> All these really? like, weirdos, yeah, fetishists buy oh, it. Oh, well, fet. I mean, um, I know there's like a fet. Okay, this is not this is not what's on the slate for us to talk about today. But I don't this know is fe- but this is but uh, but like maybe another time we could have a conversation <laughs> about the ethics of that because if, you know it's like sort of like surrogacy. It's a form of surrogacy if you were going to sell yeah. your breast milk. But I guess it's mm-hmm. like donating yeah, blood like, or something it's like kind of a gray area legally i'm i forget the exact because i didn't i didn't prep to be talking about yeah. this, but but, <laughs> but but yeah it, it is sort of a similar thing like selling your blood um and it and it definitely takes something from the woman um i didn't realize how involved breast milk uh like is you know and how how much of your own body goes into producing it and that it comes from the blood i didn't know that um uh, until i was making it but it it there there have been startups that have tried to like capitalize on it and you know get like poor women in different parts of the world mm-hmm. to be like hooked up to these pumping machines and be constantly producing breast milk for like hours oh a gosh. day and get paid for it um 
yeah, it just sounds very, it makes me queasy to think about it. Um, especially since a lot of these women think that when they're doing this, they're like, oh, this is going to be sold to babies. And some of it gets sold to babies, but a lot of it gets sold to like weirdos. Um, a lot? We don't know. Like We're like, percentage? I mean, like fetishists I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But this is, let's, hard so to this know. is fake. Let's start some so major fake buy? news here. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I don't percentage. Know. I don't know. To clarify, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Except, I, I, I think with, with babies, people just opt for formula versus buying it from like, you know, Thailand, like human breast milk for, yeah. for their babies. It's, um, you know, people didn't, um, it's funny because it's like we were talking about on the, when we talked about adoption the other day, there's so many uh, generational differences. I, in my time, there was, women were not really breastfeeding. You know, there was a period of time where it was very, yeah, it was very generation, taboo. man. I know. Look up. how great we turned out. No, oh I don't, I, I know my mother didn't. I, I don't know exactly her reasons, but I know, I remember her talking about it. And I think it was like, coming out of the second wave feminism, there was this idea that women were enslaved by it. Um, but I don't Um, know. Okay. Listen, um, I breastfed for a very, like, I, I am one of those women who just like breastfeeds as long as I can basically until I'm like broken psychologically. And then I, then I quit. Um, but it, you know, for the first couple of months when you're breastfeeding, you just feel it's just, it's so draining, literally draining. Yeah. But you just, you're, I didn't realize a timeline of it for the first couple of months because, you know, I knew women when I was around babies, which is very briefly, uh, you know, before I was pregnant myself. But I, you know, saw a bigger, older baby. So I thought that you could go hours before, you know, the next feed. But with a newborn, you breastfeed, it takes like way too long, like 30 minutes to 45 minutes for a session. You're done you have about an hour or an hour and a half until you have to feed the baby again. And you just keep doing this all day, every day, 24 hours. These babies need to learn intermittent fasting. It is. Well, eventually they learn to be like their stomachs grow a little bit more. And so they can go longer periods and, Mm. and drink more each session and go longer periods without, without eating. But at first they can't do that at all because their stomachs are like this big. Mm -hmm. So they just have to breastfeed and they're so they suck at it. They're terrible at, at getting no, the milk out. They need to watch a YouTube video about it. They don't, they don't, they're unwilling to do any of the work really. Like, I feel like I did all of the heavy lifting with babies. Um, the babies are kid. so coddled these days. Definitely. So your generation just like, you guys are just growing no, up. We had, like, no um, breastfeeding. They just put us in front of a TV outside in the driveway, junkyard. You know, we just hung around. <laughs> we ate junk food. Mothers went to work. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah, I feel sat like, around, um, told very politically incorrect jokes to each other when we were like, everybody was adopted. Years old. Nobody, everyone adopted. Know. Everyone making racist jokes all the time that were hilarious. Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. missed out. I think maybe I did. I definitely think maybe it would have been cooler to be a mother in that time because you can just like you know. Now there's all these like the there's all these fights about sleep training and things like that where sleep training no. is where you, I think they were fighting. I think just, that mothers always fought, but they? they didn't always have like Facebook groups about it and stuff like that. They right. weren't. Shaming they had their little um, consciousness raising groups. Right, right, right. right. The well, now there's now there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of shame. I just avoided all the motherhood mother groups. Just I just completely avoided. I didn't go to any of them. I didn't go on Facebook. I didn't go on. 
uh, Reddit, none of those. None of Reddit. Um, Reddit. Mom Reddit. There's tons of okay, Reddit. Well, I'm yes. sure that's probably Momit. Yeah. There's Momit. There's uh, Dadit. And Dadit is good. Actually, Momit is fine too. But there was, so there's breastfeeding subs on, on Reddit, like subreddits. And I did visit them when I was having trouble um, when I was first getting started breastfeeding. I didn't really know how to do it. So I went on those subreddits and those subreddits are plagued with creeps. <laughs> like plagued oh, with weird. creeps. Oh, weird. It's like a big problem yeah. because mothers want to talk about it. They want to post videos. They want to be like, you know, like, or they're, they're encouraging each other. So they'll post a, like a picture of themselves, like successfully latching a kid and you don't see much of anything, but, but it's sort of like, look at me. I did it. It was so great. You know, but then like, yeah. Yeah. Creepy perverts are all up on, like on or they just want details they want to know more about it so it's a some of those kind of breastfeeding forums and groups like they'll ban pictures they'll say no pictures because there's too many creeps (laughs) we kind of discourage the creeps so no nobody posts any pictures wow um yeah and it it, it was it it was interesting um Um, and interesting all right well this has been a great episode um what were we gonna actually we were talk gonna about? talk about serious things so right. let's move on and this, this is very stupid breastfeeding you, uh, this, oh is, this is just frivolity please <laughs> don't waste um, time um okay so uh what's a lot going on in the world uh needless to say i don't even i can't i i can't keep up i mean i can't look at at twitter anymore i was thinking of seriously thinking of taking a twitter fast Oh because my god! It's uh, no. You know what's so it. weird? Have you had this experience? Like I'm looking. I I I am guilty of just kind of sitting on Twitter all day, and like that's sort of functioning as a news feed. Mm-hmm. But it's just larded with disinformation and AI generated images and just nonsense. And then you go to like Google News, and I'm like, "Where's the news? Where'd it go? Yeah. yeah. And even the New York Times, like, wait, what? They didn't report on that." horrifying like video somebody posted some tiktok thing like why isn't the washington post yeah. picking up on that no no well i mean but who knows what's it's so hard to know what is real and what isn't i think that this is the time this especially i don't want to go on into it i won't i promise but this is the... <laughs> save that for the paying subscribers this is when i think the staying away from the news um you know, habit or hygiene yeah. is most useful because there is so much going on that is, uh, you know, unsubstantiated in various ways. Too many people are spreading too many things. It is impossible. It is humanly impossible to be able to check and validate all that that is going on um, on social media and then report it accurately. We just have to presume everybody's doing a bad job and that the right thing to do is just to stop and wait or do things like rely on facts that everybody agrees on, you know? So if, you know, Hamas says we killed 500 Jews and Israel says they killed 500 Jews, then I think we can say they killed 500 Jews. You know, like, I think that that's now we mm-hmm. can pretend and that was just an example. I don't, that was just an example. Um, but you can, you know, I, I think if, in that case, sure, rely on that as a real fact. But everything else, really everything else has to be treated as um unreliable and you know we have to practice some hygiene yeah information hygiene information hygiene um yeah i know uh okay so i want to ask you 
what do you think about all these videos, all these people being made famous because they're taking down posters of kidnapped Israelis or they're saying absurd, horrifying things on TikTok? Like, I, I really feel like... Um, it's not, it's not helping. I mean, there are, there are, it's this, this, there's a sort of libs of TikTok. There are many iterations of this now. And these people are horrible in a million different ways, but I, I'm opposed yeah, so this is to mostly, this. This is mostly contained to New York, correct? Like this is no. New York or, or is it, I, I mean, where are these posters being posted? College campuses. College campuses I mean, there everywhere. was the viral okay. video. I mean, there's a sort of delightful viral video. There was one a guy in Queens was tearing down posters. And then I guess there were these guys that were on a construction crew. And um, the, the moment was just sort of captured perfectly. There was one guy who was like, you know, like big Italian kind of guy. Like, I mean, I don't, it, it was, it was an epic rant. And it was a great video, and now the guy's famous, and I'm sure he's gonna have his own TV show podcast or soon. And we should book him. We should book him now before he's no, gonna get I too don't big. Think Fifteen minutes of fame <laughs> no, lasts no, it the way it used to. It, it really doesn't. That's true. Like you can't really market it the way that you used to be able to. You can't capitalize on it. It used to be that some you made a show, you made you made a little song, you were you know on on like caught on camera doing something, and now you're now you're somebody. Yeah. I don't think that happens because it just it happens. There's too many people. No, it's true. But okay, so let's just start with one example. I mean, do you remember there was a video circulating pretty heavily? It's still around of um, students at Balboa High School in San Francisco. This is the one where, you know, they're running through the halls yelling, mm. you know, free Palestine. They're wearing, I can never pronounce it. How do you pronounce those, those scarves? Kafia? Why are you, why are you asking me? Like if you think um, I, I would know because you're round. so fashionable, yeah, right? Kafia, mm. I think that's how you say it. Okay. I mean, there's those are like the you know the the checker the Palestinian scarves. I mean, they're cool looking, um, and admittedly, we wore them a lot in the '90s. Uh, in Did college. you? Yeah, yeah. I'm really? embarrassed to oh. say I I had mm. one, and I because they were just like it just meant that you were fashionable. You wore them with your vintage leather jacket that you bought on okay. the street in Greenwich Village. Anyway, Weird. so, okay. So there were, those kids were, um, you know, it was, it was a total cringe video and these kids are running through the halls yelling this stuff. And there appeared to be a lot of them. Um, and uh, th there's a very interesting thread. Um, somebody named Essie, and I'm just going to read a few. It's she says, "I'm I'm one of very few Jewish students at Balboa High School. I'm sure many of you have seen the viral videos of a pro-Palestine walkout at my school. One in particular has been viewed nearly 17 million times." Okay, she says, "As a result, my school's administrators have been doxxed, and our Instagram account is full of comments calling us Nazis." As a proud Jew, I find this deeply offensive. I think standing up for your rights and the rights of oppressed people anywhere is something that my religion has taught me is essential. I've also seen many people who are not Jewish students at my school commenting on how difficult it must be to be a Jewish student there. Okay, so like this is a pretty thoughtful thread. Um, and, you know, she's talking about how the hate directed at the students and the administrators was misplaced and mm. unfair. Um I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not really sure what to think about a lot of this stuff because uh, I do hate them. <laughs> it was definitely, cr <laughs> I don't hate them. It's very cringe. I do, you do have a visceral reaction 
Um, I mean, there's just one of these things, just they just one after another. There's a, actually there's a Twitter account. Um, I think it's like stop anti-Semites or something like this. And it's basically become a new libs of TikTok and their mission is to take pictures of people and, you know, pictures of people who are taking down posters and, you know, say, let's make them famous. Um, I mean, I feel like it's, it's like, um, the, it's, it's like crowdsourcing parental authority. I mean, the internet is now, is now punishing young people the way parents were once supposed to do. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, we just don't know what's going on, you know? Like, I feel like we haven't learned the lesson from the the Covington High School. Yeah, well, that, although in this case, it's, it is boys. more clear what's going on. Well, it is more clear, but still, we, it always seems very clear. You know, like, when you, the, when you first encounter a video, it seems very clear what's happening. And then later you find out that maybe it's not as clear. It is... It, 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 the what we should have learned is that this is not a reliable source of information you know and that we shouldn't find ourselves like we we shouldn't be watching these videos you know it, it just like a loop it, it, it just consuming this feed of outrage on tiktok because it is definitely going to derange you and uh, you know i i i find i'm i'm kind of um you know, saddened by the whole thing, watching it happen um, in real time, watching this, like uh, it, the fact that both sides are just like, no, listen, we're just going to take part in this disinformation campaigns. Like we're going to take these videos and we're going to decontextualize them and throw them out in front of the world. And mm, it's not that I don't think that they're capturing something real in, in, or it's possible that they're capturing something real. I think it's, even likely in some of these cases that what you're seeing is deep rooted anti-Semitism or, you know, a thoughtless anti-Semitism. But I have a hard time feeling comfortable with what we're doing, given that we know this is such an unreliable way to get behind the scenes and to understand what's going on with people. I, you know, when I talk to pro-Palestine, um, like sort of advocates that I know or people who are just like landing on that side of the debate, I am blown away by the lack of information, just complete lack of information and denial that is everywhere. I mean, they literally, there are so many who I've personally spoken to, people that I know in real life who are just like, it didn't happen. Hamas did not kidnap you know, this many. I know. Okay. Who are the people who are saying this? Like, who are they? Like, when you say you're talking to them, like, who who are they? Are they young? These are not online people. These are real life. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, who, what, where are they getting this information? Like, are they, are they like college students? Are they adults? Who are, who are they? You don't have to name them, obviously, but like, uh, all sorts, all sorts, but it's people who are getting information from their networks, you know, like from their feeds. I think young people are worse about it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think young people are definitely worse about it. And I think that the um, it, when I talk to young people, I'm surprised that even sort of media savvy, intelligent young people seem to be very confused with what's going on and sort of unable to parse, um, 
the you know relevant and important facts about the issue. They just seem like, oh, there, here's so many videos and here's so many other videos and here's so many dead babies and there's so many other mm-hmm. dead babies. And that's what they're, they're sort of comparing different, you know, like chaotic elements, like consequences of war with each other and trying to have some kind of like, you know, trying to sort it all out. But those are actually not even, that. that's not the relevant, bits of information that i think that um they need to be paying attention to but what's interesting about it is that consuming this kinds of these kinds of media like constantly it's so contextless you know you never know if the person that you're um like there was one of the these anti uh stop anti-semites um like one of these tweets where uh, i yeah. think it was that account stop anti-semitism that's the name of the account that's the name of the account. Yeah. And there was um, a a picture that was going around. No, it was not Stop, stop Anti-Semite. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It was um, another account. Like, I'll never be able to say this, but they uh, shared a picture of a woman said, this morning we encountered a woman who had removed the kidnapped posters from the bridge leaning to Primrose Hill, London. When we yeah. confronted her, she replied she was taking them down because she didn't believe that Hamas had actually kidnapped all these people. I mean, that's what's going on here. Like, there's a lot of just like I literally don't believe it happened. Oh yeah, you know, they're not they're not justifying a horrible act. They literally don't believe it happened. You know, and so they think that you are the like the posters are the source of the disinformation. Right, I know, and I think that's important context. You know, and if we're gonna call her a Nazi genocidal like freak, like I think it. It, we should take into account the fact that she is in a very different epistemic environment and that matters. And we should, we should tackle this issue with that understanding, you know, and, and that means not just coming down on her and calling her a Nazi, because I don't think that's going to change her views. I don't think she's going to reconsider um, whether or not those attacks were real. We just have to think about the fact that people are, do not have a reliable way of finding out the facts about an issue anymore. And that is leading us to a kind of extreme partisanship, like an extreme polarization in a way that we've never seen before, you know, and it, it, it might be, it, it's almost like pre mass media, you know, like, it's like, it's like we're, we're almost going back to a time before anybody had access to newspapers or something that we can all rely on this one set of facts. Uh, but it's all just, hearsay and gossip and your neighbors telling you something and your mother-in-law telling you some other thing and that it's a very personalized very biased stream of information that is coming in and i i wonder what kind of effect it'll have on our um you know on our national cohesiveness because yeah we rely on these platforms to at least agree on the facts of the case you know, we relied on the newspaper to tell us, here are the facts of the case. You can analyze it however you want, but this is what actually happened. Um, and that helped build a sense of national cohesion. But if we are no longer relying on this, you know, no, we have re- I mean, the same a, set of facts. A huge number of people think that 9-11 was either an inside job or didn't happen at all. I mean, some people yeah, still think that like the planes were holograms. TikTok. Exactly. I mean, yeah, this, that's before all of but, that. So I guess the question is, do is it is it important that we see people who believe this? Like, is it important that we see these people pulling off the posters? Whether or not, you know, the extent to which we shame them is another question. But like, do you think we should be seeing them at all? 
I think we should be seeing them, but I think it's wrong to, I, I, I would, if I were, if I was the, some of these groups, like these um, Twitter accounts that were trying to cover instances of, of hate, um, I would just, I would blur their faces probably. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm also seeing things like, you know, there was one where there was a kid like a, on a campus pulling off a, a poster and, you know, the, the comments, and, and I guess it was a video so you could like hear his voice and, you know, the comments like were descending into, oh, you know, typical SJW beta. And, you know, they're, they're saying that this guy has a, has an SJW voice, you know, social justice worker kind of voice. And then they're saying, oh, typical, he's got a backpack and glasses. It's like, whoa, what is this like, is is this like the Khmer Rouge now? Like, are are we yeah. going after people? Is this the cultural revolution? Like, if they're wearing glasses, I mean that that's yeah. terrifying. It's stupid, yeah. but it's also really really alarming. Um, I mean, but like, okay, but let me ask you this. I mean, what about adults who are spreading this information? I mean, there was an excellent piece uh, in the Los Angeles Times actually by Erwin Shermaninsky, who is the dean of berkeley law school um and he was just talking about the just the amount of anti-semitism i mean he says it's an it was an opinion piece he says nothing has prepared me for the anti-semitism i see on colleges now he's a 70 year old jewish man he says i've heard anti-semitic things from time to time throughout my life um but he said nothing has prepared me for the last few weeks um and he goes on, I mean, this it's a good piece and it is filled with links to things that professors have tweeted. I mean, there's one uh, case, I mean, here's just one example. Okay, so one of these professors uh, at University of California, Davis, um, uh, assistant professor of American studies. Uh, she's also trans, okay. trans woman uh, for what it's worth. But um, th this is hilarious because if you read the student ratings, um, you, you see things like this. Uh, it took a class, uh, took this as a class, and it was super easy to get an A. <laughs> um, uh, I thought this, okay, I thought this class would be a fun class about music in American culture. However, it was entirely about race, which is fine. I just wish I had known before. We didn't listen to any music post 1970 until the last week. I heard a lot. I learned a lot about radical politics from this class, about ideas and movements I had never heard about before. Um, overall, a very low stress, super interesting class. If you are sick of having capitalist rhetoric shoved down your throat on this campus, this class is for you. It is a critique of America, capitalism, neoliberalism, et cetera, and teaches you how to form radical community. Um, and then there's, uh, like, um, lots of, uh, yeah. you know, lots of people talking about how easy the class is, how easy it is to get an A. I, I had a class yeah. like this. Um, I had a class on mm. music, um, and I thought it would be like an easy kind of interest, like fun. You, we listen to music or whatever kind of class. And it ended up to be a lot. <laughs> there, there, there was a lot of radical politics in that class. And that was the first time I had heard of a lot of these um of like fanon and that kind of and post-structuralism or whatever i don't even i don't remember any of the terms anymore but it, they were um yeah shelved in in between like it would be britney spears really and or the oh, pixies well, okay. you know the pixies and then 
the next and then later we listen to the pixies and then later in that same period we're talking about um some radical politics and the readings were very intense um so this guy was definitely trying to like he was his whole aim in with the course was to take this nonsense course and radicalize people um and make them sympathetic towards a certain kind of politics and everybody enjoyed it actually like everybody liked the class it was fun he was fun um and i i remember years later thinking that was the shadiest like it was such a clear political maneuver hard to be mad at him because i got a lot of good music out of that class (laughs) yeah you wouldn't have known about the pixies otherwise (laughs) and i don't remember look i don't remember any of the political things because it was just kind of nonsense right like it's like reading judith butler what does it mean who knows but but there, I got a lot of good music, so um, like good I soundtracks. Mean, okay, based but off of it that is class. incredible. Okay, here here's another one. Okay, this is a professor, yeah. an associate professor at the School of the Art Institute in Chicago. Um, th- this person, Dr. Mika Tosca, who describes herself as quote Chicago's radically optimistic transsexual climate scientist, harshly condemned Israelis yeah. on Instagram. Okay calling them irredeemable excrement. She wrote, Israelis are pigs, mm. savages, very, very bad people. The propaganda has been downright evil. After the past week, if your eyes aren't open to the crimes against humanity that Israel is committing and has committed for decades and will continue to commit, then I suggest you open them. It's disgusting and grotesque. May they all rot in hell. Okay, this is somebody teaching college students. Pretty clear, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 that's clear. It's hard to you know, both sides that one, because I really don't, I don't see the reverse, to be honest, like, and maybe it is because of my feed. um, And that it is a biased feed, but I do not see professors, I see professors condemning Palestinian, like, or pro-Palestine students, who will have certain statements, who will make certain statements. So the professor will say, we condemn any, you know, language that glorifies violence and, uh, you know, promotes a certain kind of, uh, uh, worldview i guess but that's it that's what i see on the other side i don't see uh, palestinians are trash and deserve to be treated like scum and and like it it definitely is a one-sided affair when it comes to that but it's always been with like woke types you know anytime they're on the other side they're going to their rhetoric is extreme always extreme but they tell but but they say that you're you're the people who are you know extremely violent um and I think that it, it, the professors, like how many of them are, it seems like they're adjuncts. Not many all. Them, I like, mean, you've got people like haven't you found or assistants at Columbia? I mean, you've got big, big stars, right? The right. Ivies. So there's a few. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's a few, but then there's there's just a whole class of like people affiliated with academia in various ways yeah. who are saying some extremist things. And I mean, it's not a surprise to anybody who's been keeping like an eye on what's going on in academia. They have no, I mean, it's incredible um, how clear of a, how one-sided of a monoculture it is. And I'm surprised that there are so many people surprised. Yeah. Like I'm surprised that there's like people who are waking up finally. And it's like, really? I know. Where have you been? Of course this is going to happen. They've been saying so, you know, um, and there was a piece actually, let me pull it up. Is this um, the Atlantic piece? Hold on one second. Cause I, I do. No. Oh this yeah. It's a tablet piece. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Um, 
Well, while you're looking for that, I was going to mention a piece in The Atlantic by Simon Sebag Montefiore. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the middle name right. Just about the decolonization narrative and how it's gained so much traction over the last couple of decades. And it's just completely hollow and misapplied and just inadequately understood uh, and it, it's it's a long piece that I, I I highly suggest it. I mean, this is just this idea that decolonization means a certain thing um, and is therefore bad. It's just basically a blanket assumption now in uh, in humanities departments, and this is what we're seeing mm-hmm. uh, played out. And it's actually been going on for a long time. I mean, the people, the the, the leftists who were sort of excusing Stalin, it was the same logic. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, it, okay. So this is the, I found the piece. This is on a uh, tablet magazine. Um, Alex Olshonsky, Olshonsky, who knows? Um, the, it's called Hamas killed my mm. wokeness. I found a home for on the progressive left for years, even after I noticed a common blind spot around Jewish issues, but the reaction to the murderous attacks on Israeli citizens was the final straw. Um, and, you know, uh, it is it, the piece is what you expect it to be kind of a, a thing that I've been hearing um, increasingly since this um, since October 7th. At the same time, I'm really annoyed by reading it because it's like it's it took you, you know, uh, until it affected you. <laughs> you didn't see how this was a terrible this was, you know, a terrible politics. Like, of course it was terrible you know and it's almost um there's that cliche you know first at first they came for whoever and i didn't speak out because i wasn't a whatever you know i said nothing um and and here you sort of see you're you're having this person explain to you that this is exactly what they went through um but i have a you know i i have a hard time feeling a lot of sympathy for this person because up until now they have been dehumanizing all sorts of different groups of people. It was just that it wasn't you or, you know, or they weren't in a position to actually do something really terrible to those people. But the dehumanization from this woke worldview has been going on for a very, very long time. The insidiousness of, of the way that they approach um, really complex issues, the way that they turn everything into this black and white privilege oppressor, um, you know, binary, and uh, you know, uh, uh, allow it to justify just about anything because just about anything is resi- is resistance, you know, hashtag resistance, um, hashtag decolonization, and this is a, of course this was going to lead down a ve- uh, down a very dark path like of course we were going to get to this point that they were going to justify the murder of innocent civilians this was where it was always going to go that's why you don't accept the logic that's why you that's why there's such a thing as due process that's why there's such that's why we stand by these fundamental principles because if we don't we end up here and i'm you know uh, you know it's good People are waking up finally. That's nice. Um, other people are going to wait, I guess, to until it impacts them personally, and then they're going to wake up. Um, but it's already it already feels like a little bit too late. Um, 
because even now I don't feel like they're willing to reject the whole, like uh, the whole premise, you know, um, it's not to say like, it's not the, uh, I, I was at a, um, uh, a conference recently. I won't name it because I'm about to be a little bit critical of the speaker who I liked. Um, and this man was, uh, talking about how he was being accused of bigotry and Islamophobia. Um, but, you know, him and his colleagues were not Islamophobic and they held, you know, they uh, held tight to their principles and said they should be allowed to say certain things and, and study certain subjects um, openly without being accused of Islamophobia. And they are not Islamophobic. And he kept insisting that. And I remember thinking the problem is that you feel like you have to say i'm not islamophobic you know and the problem is that (laughs) the problem is that it's universities are about the pursuit of truth unless it's bigotry or it can be possible it can be reasonably construed to be bigotry in which case it's not a worthwhile like field of study and we've seen over and over it's obvious to everybody how there's a truth to that of course then there's all these other cases where studying biological sex is now a form of violence against, uh, you know, trans people studying, you know, uh, uh, religions from a critical lens, from a secular lens is violence against religious people of all, of all stripes. Um, You know, ethnic studies, colonial studies, like there are, I I remember looking into colonial studies um, way back in the day when I was, thinking about going into graduate school and looking at (laughs) what's out there. And I was very fascinated by the topic. Um, But it was interesting because program after program, um, they, they looked at, you know, um, the very specific impacts of say colonization on India, right? Like they might focus on that. Um, But I felt as if, how do you know what the effect of colonization on India is? Unless you know India, you know, like unless you have also have a broad like uh, and deep understanding of the subcontinent and the history of what the subcontinent was like before. And then you can make a claim as to how things change for the worse and, you know, have a conversation. But, you know, colonial studies doesn't they don't have a huge grasp of history. Wow. Um and can't really they they can't really um make a lot of the claims that they're making but nobody challenges them on it because nobody wants to be on the side of saying well maybe colonization wasn't bad in every respect yeah i mean is it nobody wants to say this is another that's just i know i'm very curious this is a conversation from another time but like the countries that i was reading something recently i mean the countries that were colonized in Africa and in the Indian subcontinent. I mean, those countries are f- far more advanced. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, it really is a fascinating field of inquiry. You know, it is, and, and we can look at it in a much more objective lens when we look at, you know, the Roman empire, you know, <laughs> like then we can be like, Oh, well, here were the benefits like Romans brought, you know, plumbing of a certain kind of standard to to these like barbarian lands or whatever but this is this is what what they did that was terrible like we're able to actually investigate the issue with a kind of objectivity that is completely yeah why is that because there's not a race component colonial studies completely a lot well there just is i i think it's just 
there is a race component, but there's also just that there's no um, like ever since right. Orientalism, right? You know, ever since uh, uh, Said came out and uh, became popularized whole branches like whole fields of of inquiry became very toxic for people who were trying to do it in this old school object right. uh, objective way now you had to include voices and all these you know sort of nonsense terms um that essentially add up to you have to bring in s- scholars quote unquote who are going to propagate a certain kind of worldview um and bring in only this one specific perspective and call all the other perspectives racist um and that's kind of what happened so if you're going to look into say like um uh you know middle eastern studies or like near east studies that's what uh yeah it, yeah. it used to be <laughs> but you kind of want to do it pre edward said <laughs> like pre, pre the 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 publishing and then uh, yeah, yeah pre-orientalism basically like that's when you want to that's when you want to read um uh, some of the some of these works because that's when that's before the time that it was c- completely infused with this ideology and this um you know this other pull on academics like on the one hand they wanted to uh uh speak the truth as they saw it and write down uh, the the facts of the case as they were discovering them in their studies. On the other, they were now super conscious of their biases and Orientalism and racism and all these like, you know, and so they were trying to always correct for it, always correct uh, for for their yeah. supposed biases. But what it actually leads to is a more muddled studies. Like it actually leads to less. Oh yeah. I mean, scholarship and, and actual, um, and then racism and propaganda yeah and actually i'm going to read like a little bit from this atlantic piece and then i actually want to touch on a a, another tablet piece so he's talking about the this is the um montefiore piece he's talking about the decolonization narrative i just think this is helpful framing for people who are are maybe new to this so he says this ideology powerful in the academy but long overdue for serious challenge as you're saying is a toxic historically nonsensical mix of Marxist theory, Soviet propaganda, and traditional anti-Semitism from the Middle Ages and the 19th century. But its current engine is the new identity analysis, which sees history through a concept of race that derives from the American experience. Okay, right? (laughs) So the Mm -hmm. argument Mm -hmm. is that it is Mm -hmm. almost impossible for the, quote, oppressed to be themselves racist, just as it's impossible for an oppressor to be the subject of racism. Jews, therefore, cannot suffer racism because they are regarded as white and privileged. That's what we've talked about several times um and he says the, this leftist analysis with its hierarchy of oppressed identities and intimidating jargon which is a clue to its lack of factual rigor has in many parts of the academy and media replaced traditional universalist leftist values including the internationalist standards of decency and respect for human life and the safety of innocent civilians when this clumsy analysis collides with the realities of the middle east it loses all touch with historical facts. Like, this is why it's so important for the left to stand up to this. Because it's actually, it's it's an insult to the values. I, I guess we're not calling it the left anymore. We're just calling this liberalism. I mean, is this liberalism the versus the left? Yeah, yeah, liberals. Like the five liberals that still are still alive. Well, but they're all podcasters. They're about to croak. I mean, anytime. there was another... Um, piece uh in in tablet actually i wanted to this was actually from back in in february about um it's called the queering of (laughs) anti-semitism 
And um, this was by Corinne Blackmer. Uh, and this is how an unlikely alliance between LGBTQ studies and anti-Zionism conquered American universities. Um, and this is also a fascinating piece. We can we can link to it. But I mean, ve very strange bedfellows going on here. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, yeah, but of course, <laughs> you know, of course, that is what that's what's been happening. What are you like? What are we? I, I don't even um, I, I don't have much to say about it, to be honest, because it's uh, yeah, this is what we were been pointing to while everybody was saying you're just freaking out about yeah. some college kids. You know, that that's that's what I remember that I remember for years, years still. That's what you know. people accuse me of, uh, you know, obsessing over these cultural issues that right. really nobody cares about. And nobody really believes this and it doesn't matter anyway. And it's like, no, it, it actually matters a lot. Too many people believe it. Too many people in power believe it. And we need to do something about it right now instead of pretending like it doesn't exist or pretending like it's not powerful. Like you don't wait to counter bad ideas when they're so big and prevalent that they're going to destabilize your, you know, your, your country. You do it way yeah. before this time. <laughs> you do Preventative it when they're medicine. small I, and they're, yeah. <laughs> when, well, when they're a able to be conquered but we've gone so far past that point you know i i don't think that there is um like on what grounds are people going to stand like what i wanted this th that speaker from the conference that i was just mentioning to say i wanted him to say look we just got to get rid of the idea that we're going to be judged on how hateful our uh, perspective seem to a certain yeah, you got to stop like stop caring what like they it. think because that's ultimately what it is ultimately yeah of course it's it, there, there 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 are true facts about the world that will seem hateful to a certain to 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 a group of people like in almost any you know and I'll, I'll pick pick your fact you know pick the issue you're going to find a group of people that find it to be very hateful, very personally offensive, um, especially if it has to do with people, you know, there are whole fields that are going to be offensive if they're told honestly and truthfully, does this mean we should just not talk about it? I mean, you could even say this to about American history. You know, th there are many Americans who will be offended if you tell American history honestly and truthfully. Does that mean that that's hate speech, you know, against America and does that mean that this should have some kind of that this should be considered when we're talking about these issues, when we're studying these issues, when, you know, we're we're covering these issues? In that example, it's clear to everyone that, of course, we shouldn't. But when you switch out Americans for Latinos, you know, suddenly it's like, oh, my God, we, like we no, no, no. Like we cannot be um uh bigoted if you now you're talking about islam definitely cannot be islamophobic but that's those are that that's a ground that is not stable and you should not put yourself in a position where that's what you have to defend you have to prove yourself as not islamophobic or not bigoted in order to continue on to this you know field right. of inquiry that is honest and truthful you should say I, that's I not even, even have to jump over that consideration hurdle. yeah like, i'm not even that's not a criteria that i acknowledge as relevant to to what i'm doing here and i'm not going to respond to whether or not it i am right. being islamophobic because it doesn't matter you know that's what he should have said but he's not going to say that because but it's so nice but it's so fun <laughs> and so this is going to happen again with these mental gymnastics i mean he's this is incredible nice so 
the, check out this logic. Okay. This is in this, this piece. Um, this is, uh, Corinne Blackmer writes this in the, um, the tablet piece about the queering of, of, uh, the, uh, the queering of anti-Zionism. Okay. She says, according to my, um, you know, people who think this, my former allies, Israel's protections for gay people and its thriving gay culture in cities like Tel Aviv should not be thought of as positives, but are in fact evidence that the country is guilty of pinkwashing its sins. Israel gives gays and lesbians rights, these critics contend, only as a means of deflecting attention from the country's mistreatment of Palestinians. Ah, uh, Sarah, why don't we think of it? Mm. Duh. <laughs> Moreover, Israel's <laughs> queer critics claim that touting the country's liberal record on gay rights is a form of racism and Islamophobia. Wait, are we following this? I feel like I can feel my my muscles like contorting. Like I feel like they should have yoga. They should there should be some practice of yoga that is combined with this like m- these mental contortions that are necessary for this um postmodern post-Marxist Judith Butlerian logic. Okay. Israel's queer critics claim that touting the country's liberal record on gay rights is a form of racism and Islamophobia used to paint Arabs as homo-hating barbarians. Well, there. That that is unfair. They are not they, they are not they are neither homo-hating yeah. Hamas, homo-hating barbarians? They were probably all gay. They're probably self-hating homos. In stunning contrast, I'm, I'm reading this again. These same progressives regard Arab countries, which inflict state-sponsored, culturally accepted horrific punishments on queer people, as subaltern allies. So the fact the fact that acad- the oh, academic a subaltern what is that that mean? word? It's it's from oh. Spivak. Like that's you just don't even like. There are certain words where somebody uses them. I'm like you're brainwashed. Like I don't, I can't have another. Like I, I already know okay. what's about what you're right. about to say. I have to bring Yasha Monk. Anyway, go ahead to talk about Spivak and Subaltern. Okay, so the, okay, so I'm just a little bit more. The fact that the academic notion of queerness and hostility to the Jewish state are now virtually synonymous is largely the accomplishment of a small group of postmodern leftist scholars, the most prominent of whom is Judith Butler. And in fact, uh, a Judith Butler clip was going around this past week. Uh, she was not ripping down posters. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> but mentally no. she was. No. Uh, yeah, she was. Uh, w- what was she saying? She was saying that it uh, that that the struggle that Hamas uh, that Hamas is going through is is similar to the it is a leftist struggle. They she, she, she doesn't with all their methods and means and everything. They but, don't they can't sit still. Isn't that class not what she said. I don't want that. modern theory. This Hamas. They're just a bunch of antsy boys. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What else did she say? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's what you would expect. You know, I mean, you you know what the, what what she's going to say. You know, but what's interesting about it is that they don't seem to consider at all. It's, it doesn't seem relevant what the reality is on the ground, and I think that in itself speaks to a place of privilege. You know, like you don't, it doesn't. <laughs> you think if you are. If 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 I am, you know, yeah, if I if I am next door, sorry. Hey, I'm trying to be sincere about all this. Uh, but I, if I live next door to Hamas um or to really the majority of, of a you know Muslim Muslim majority countries um that don't have a lot of freedom for gay people, then you know 
uh, that any struggle with this entity, with this group might mean something for you, you know, and if you are a gay person that lives close by, you're very threatened by this. And you know that it might be, it's possible that you have to live under, you know, under the rules of, of this other group of people that you might have to live in their vision of the world. That might be your reality that might be forced upon you. So you have to, you know, it, it is an existential thing for you to understand yeah. what their vision of the world is and to know your place in it, to know where they would put you. And it's incredible that none of these, you know, these queers for Palestine, yeah. like it's a, it's a LARP. It's a complete LARP that they can afford in their safety. Yeah, it's a status. The Western it's a, world. I, it's a, a status that they're trying to destroy, actually. by the way. like I, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, right. We're I can so afford far to removed. be this way. It's, yeah, it's a We're form so of luxury belief. No, I, I think the more like bonkers, academic, like New York Review of Books, uh, you know, academic press, crazy book title universe you live in, it's it really is a flex. I think it's a way of showing this is how far I am from yeah. any any kind of I'm so right, right. it's like looting it's like the looting defense that I'm living in this other world. And I've actually yeah. known I'm people so- um that come from those kinds of backgrounds and kind of get into this world as a way of separating themselves from their modest roots. I've seen this a lot actually. Um, I, um, and I, yeah. And I actually, yeah. I can see it. I can see that being something that people understand because I remember when I first understood it, that this was a luxury belief, like to be able to stand up on behalf of like kind of horrific things and like it, in a part of the world that you were so separated from um, or to, you know, contextualize them or, you know, add nuance. I mean, that's what they say, but what, what is happening is that they are whitewashing some pretty horrible things. I remember when that first occurred to me, I was um, on a date. (laughs) That sounds like a fun date with this guy. That's a, I mean, yeah, it was, I I mean, I never went on, I didn't, I didn't have a long like single period ever in my life. So this was like this brief, you know, weeks long suffering that I went to. No wonder you immediately (laughs) married the next person you met. One, this was one of like. Oh, a dozen dates in three months? Okay, dates. Not with this one guy, but. You're getting around. Yeah, come on. It's a, it's the, uh, uh, the, the age of the app like dating app you can just go on dinner with a different guy every day um anyway it didn't last long and uh i so i went on a few dates with this one guy and he was this like mckinsey consultant yale grad like very Mm -hmm. like like (laughs) you know ran in a certain kind he had this like apartment in in this nice part of town and uh was making a lot of money even though he was really young and uh a hot shot took me to really, really nice places. And we started arguing. <laughs> like date two, we started getting into really heated arguments. Um, and he started doing this whitewashing thing. Um, that I could tell from the way that he was the way that he was saying it, the way that he was justifying various like horrific aspects of cultures that I'm actually mm-hmm. from, very familiar with um it was it was just kind of a yeah uh it was a word game yes. you know it was an intellectual exercise and f- he was speaking to someone maybe for the first time 
who, you know, had intimate experience mm-hmm. with living in that kind of environment. And I could, I could tell that this was like a unique experience. And he was kind of like amused by it and amused by my reaction. And I could tell he was judging me as, you know, like pro- provincial <laughs> and like very little, you know, like silly little light. brown person, like, 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 like oh very blue God. collar, very right. blue collar for, yeah. you know, right. And silly little, you know, oh my God, like, of course you yeah. think this because you're, you are, you know, and no, I, was just like, I, I, I mean, that's it, the thing is like you know what? resisting <laughs> this stuff is coded as anti-intellectual. It's coded as unsophisticated. Right. So you could, right. yeah. 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 I got to, I could, I could feel that coming in from him, you know, and I was just like, I don't, I don't, I didn't know that this was, you know, a, a reality. And then that's when I started avoiding okay, well, that's people. Smart. You know. um, all right. Well, yeah. um, I kind of want to, there was another, uh, there was another TikTok uh, going around, not political. I kind of just want to touch on it for a few minutes, at least before we wrap up. So this is, this was this uh, young woman, she's 21 years old. Uh, she made a video where she was talking about her being at her first job and uh, just like how overwhelming it is to have to commute into the city to, to work nine to five or whatever the hours were. And she's crying and she's saying, I'm never going to have a life again. This is terrible. How am I supposed to get anything done? How am I supposed to work out? How am I supposed to date? Like I never, uh, this is awful as, as if she's been, you know, sentenced to a life um, of commuting and sitting at a desk and she was getting piled on as a, as a coddled, uh, Gen Zer, I guess she's, she's 21. Her name is Brielle Acero. Um, and there was initially this just outpouring of shame uh, upon her. Um, and then there was actually a pretty interesting discussion emerged uh, around like, you know, the, it, it is, it's, it's always been hard. I think in your, in your first real job, to understand that you do have to work during holidays and you do have to stay there. Mm -hmm. And especially now Mm -hmm. when you've had people who've been going to school and working on zoom for basically their entire adult Mm -hmm. life at this point, working from home, it must be totally overwhelming to realize that you've got to get up before dawn every morning and commute and sit at a desk um, and so she's become a little, she, yeah. now she's become a kind of folk hero. Um, and the irony is that now she's yeah. a, a TikTok star and she'll be able to quit her job and uh, do that. So it's so worked out. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't know if you had yeah. thoughts about yeah. that. Yeah. I, did you have this kind of experience where you first realized? I mean, I didn't it think it was a scam, film. but it's funny because I, I, I do remember my first job out of college and it wasn't even my first job in New York City. Like I had worked at other places Mm -hmm. and in other offices but i had i remember Mm -hmm. my first job was um i worked at conde nast uh which is a snake pit but you know it was in midtown i remember having you know taking taking the subway into midtown Times square you know getting out uh walking to the east side to madison avenue every morning and just the crush of people on the sidewalk was so overwhelming to me. And I had spent a lot of time in New York city by then. And there was just something about that midtown uh, scene and, and also just going into the office and realizing it was an extremely toxic, <laughs> unpleasant place. Like I had been very lucky and had like a very fun office job prior to that. Um, and I also remember like, you know, my, my parents, like 
wanted me to commute from New Jersey. They're like, why do you, you know, you need to live at home and save money, which is true because I was, you know, making $18,000 a year at this job. And I just remember like the, th- and I did do that for a couple of months initially. And I just remember like, oh my God, if I have to like take the bus in to like, you know, into the city every day and work at this job, I'm, that's like unacceptable. Um, and it's funny because I think this girl, uh, I read that she, it's, it's odd. She, she, she moved from South Carolina to New Jersey and now she's commuting, uh, from New Jersey into the city to do this job. And yeah, I'm sure she is because the rents are astronomical. Um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, 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 I feel for her actually. I have to say something for I, I I do think one of the ways in which a generation like the younger generations have improved is that I don't feel the same kind of intense like class based you know it, it's it's more hidden but the physical rea- the, the actual fact of being poor is not as devastating um because it was just such it was a reality for a lot of kids for a long time and you know they it took a lot while for for some of the people especially who got trapped behind the pandemic um to get employed initially so there was you know it, there's just less of a shame in being broke and taking the bus i don't think that it would be like i think if you're working at condé nast today it would oh, not be so shameful for you to okay. do that um it was but, but it kind of even that in a way that that's because you're a bridge because... person. It was more a status thing. Like I was, I if I would have been if I was poor. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Here's the thing. It no. wouldn't be. It wouldn't be so bad for me because no. I'm a I'm a minority, and well, for the, a minority to be yeah. poor is. Um, I mean, there was a romance in being poor. It's, it's I mean, let me just sort of like fine tune this a little bit because, like, if I had been living in a tenement apartment on the Lower East Side at that time, which they were, and eating ramen noodles and commuting to my job, that that would have been cool and fine. It, it was. It was the commuting from the burbs okay. that was the indignity. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I do think that there's, um, uh, a little bit, there's a space here and I've been thinking about it, that, 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 that was kind of my experience growing up as a, um, unfashionably poor person. You know, there's like a whole, there's a range of unfashionable poor where it's like, you're not devastated you still have you know you have food on the table and you have clothes on your backs yeah. and you have so a you can't even get a memoir out of it you're, not, you're not like living out so of your you're car. not right yeah yeah I mean and I recognize that I remember at some point like in high school that I wasn't I was poor <laughs> but in an unsexy way I had to actually be a lot more disadvantaged to get right. the advantages your parent your being, parents had uh, the uh, temerity uh, like marginalized married. god God damn them. I was a reg I mean, I was a you know, a a regular mm-hmm. immigrant or within the range of, of of regular immigration. What I needed to be was like uh, a refugee from yeah. an active war zone and you know, and I saw horrible yeah. things and yeah. they traumatized yeah. me forever and uh now I'm making it, you know, uh in America. And that that would have been a story I could sell. Um, but I just wasn't, you know, I was just like just mm-hmm. regular poor <laughs> regular poor the kind of poor where you're just you can't really make anything out of it afterwards you, couldn't use you can't it in tell your the college story. there's no memoir it's not interesting it's boring you can't like, right 
I couldn't, there was nothing to say. What, what was there? You know, what would I say? I did nothing every weekend, every holiday, every summer break because we couldn't afford to do anything. Right. That's not interesting. <laughs> that's, that's incredibly boring. Um, the immigration story, my immigration story is boring. Um, it involved, you know, planes and not, you know, there's no, there's no, you know, f- fireworks mm-hmm. involved on any, yeah, on any I'm level. Sorry. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, you yeah. shouldn't. I'll get over it. I mean, that's a real trauma. The trauma is, you know, being don't make being yourself marginalized, get over it. but not that's in the right That's a form way. of self oppression. Mar- yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, I, I I feel sorry for this person. I I I think she's right to be to feel like there's something screwed up about the way that we're living. At the same time, well, I wonder if people think like so many people work remotely now and you are hearing about these, you know, young people who are just say, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to work these crazy hours. First of all, nobody works nine to five. It's like eight to seven. And well, what, so that's what really bothers me is that like, even when I was working nine to five, I feel like yeah the commute added a lot of time you know then people would just chat and like come, a lot up, of wasted come time. over talk to you for 40 mm-hmm. minutes you know a lot of wasted time like and I've, i felt like my actual work was even on my busiest days i was working maybe four hours <laughs> that was just in between all the nonsense that would be taking place around me so i don't i i think there are ways to probably slim down like the, the work that the work hours that people are doing and 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 try and get them to do actual work in that time i don't know how but it, it definitely i, know. I have like living worked in, in office so many office jobs where there were anymore. so many meetings and stuff during the day that you would have to, you, you would stay late. You would have to work on weekends or stay late and that to do the actual work. Like the actual work, work would begin at five o'clock Yeah, and you'd be yeah. there for several hours in the yeah. office. I mean, any, anybody in book publishing, yeah, yeah, for yeah, instance, yeah. it's well known that the actual book editing gets done on the weekends. Like editors are taking home manuscripts every weekend yeah. and working on them because they just can't get anything done in the office. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it is just like, it, it's a normal thing. It's a normal passage of like, this is what everybody goes through. You become, you're 21 and then you have your first real job and then you realize that this is horseshit. And mm-hmm. what were you studying for four years to do? Like, this is too simple. This is not, you're not using any your, your brain truly. Um, and it forces you to reevaluate a lot of things. I don't know if it like, I think it's like too much to to have it reevaluate your politics because there's a lot of other things you need to consider too. Wait. Um, if you're, it's, well, it's all late. If not this, then what, what do you mean? Like if not, right. I mean, what, like that's, what's absurd about it is like, I don't like my nine to five job. I find this to be, you know, and kind of an untenable way to live. And I agree, you know, it's, it is not great. Um, but what's the alternative here? Like, what are we talking about? Patreon, baby. Pay you for like, what, what, like what? Right. I mean, if they were to also take the alternatives into account in an adult manner, then I would be more on their side. Um, but it feels like with analysis like these, it's just like now they have this epiphany. Oh God, nine to five. They jobs probably suck. do suck more now. Than they used I'm to. I mean, I, I it would be also really fun. Well, yeah, because you could go would into they? the office. Also, you, you met like romantic partners at the office. Now you can't do that anymore. So yeah, you would go there be some office flirtation, and you know, or you'd like hang out after work, go for drinks. No, apparently, you don't know yeah, about I, that. You're from in what I heard. Like, no, but in female, any, yeah, but I, I don't know about all, that. You're either. not allowed to flirt in the office anymore, so you can't. That's out the window. 
Um, I mean, I had so many, not just in publishing. I mean, God, I worked so many temp jobs. Like, I'm actually very good at working in offices. So I, throughout my twenties, I worked so many temp jobs. I was registered at multiple temp agencies. And so I would be dispatched, you know, every week or day to some other bizarre, I worked in banks. I worked for like, you know, accounting firms. And I remember I worked for like the Hanna-Barbera franchising department, like, you know, for several weeks, it was like light license, French licensing department, excuse me. We were licensing like, you know, Fred Flintstone characters on, you know, thermoses. It's like, you're so weird, <laughs> but you know, there's a culture in those places and you kind of goof around sometimes. And I, there was a kind of sport. I, I kind of like enjoyed going to a place and like seeing how quickly I could figure out like how to read the room as they say. Um, yeah. Yeah. The problem is then yeah. it, in a temp you know, scenario that works, that's fun. That's part of the fun, but, right. but you're kind of like a consultant. Oh no, but you have to actually work there. Low paid yeah. consultant. But yeah, but if you actually have to work there, I mean, months, like three months in. Oh, no, it's horrible. It's and that's why people are thing, living you know, for yeah, the like weekend. It, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, you can just see why people, yeah. I mean, you're tired, you know, people obsessed with their hobbies and what they're doing and recreating and drinking beer on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people live their whole lives like that. They live for retirement. I think if we brought back drinking in the office, everything, would I change. say it never went. Out. I think we should allow like bring it back. Okay. Did you ever work right. in an office where cool. people were are drinking? You, in the are office? you, <laughs> uh, no, Never, nothing. People Nobody used to smoke drank in offices anything, ever, and I think that's yeah, terrible. Yeah, my first job really? at, at Condé Nast. Well, they I all, like um, yes. What do you mean, smoke, smoke cigarettes? cigarettes? I just thought I thought you meant oh, okay. weed. I, I, I thought no, you meant. they would smoke cigarettes because they didn't yeah. eat. You know, so it was all you know. The people who work in in okay, well, fashion well, magazine, I'm not are um, my 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 friend used to call this the five six problem. They were they they would have been models, but they were five six. These these women, so um, mm -hmm. yeah, they were they mm -hmm. had this mentality. So they they had to stay very thin, so they would not eat and they would smoke. Yeah, my my first week on my job, my boss, um, she screamed, she shouted at me. She's like, Megan, come in here. I was in like a little cubicle down the hall outside, and she I had to go running into her office, and she had set her wastebasket on fire because she tossed a cigarette into a wastebasket that had a bunch of papers in it. And I had to like literally put out the fire. You know, they say, all I do around here is put out fires. But in this case, it was literal. That is, no, I, I'm glad that's gone. I don't, I cannot handle cigarettes. Um, but young people I know. are back to, they're yeah. vaping. They're all addicted. Um, but I, oh, it's I, insane I, I find that disgusting. We used to smoke I'm glad that that was class. not around. Yeah. Oh, of course. Did you smoke? Smoking cigarettes was... Of course. Uh, it was... Oh I was God. such a much better writer when I smoked cigarettes because, you know, absolutely. I've talked about this before. Really? Because you're, because you're you know, you're, you're going along, you're writing, and then you kind of get stuck and you can't think of what to say. So you pause and you get out and you smoke a cigarette and you, you know, think about it. And then by the time the cigarette is smoked, you've thought about the next thing to say and you can go on. And now what do you do? you if you run out of things if you get stuck you look at twitter you look at social media and an hour later yeah then you're lost so bring it back later. for the mm, sake of yeah. art sure and the sake of like i guess slim uh, well now there's ozempic 
That's the other reason. But yeah. then you have bad tea. I mean, look, I, I know it's disgusting. Yeah. I would never smoke. No. I can't stand to be around it. Um, but uh, I um, I think drinking should be brought back in, though. I think that would I think that would have changed drinking the in the office. I mean, so people can like, yeah, hit on you and date rape, date rape you and stuff. Oh, date raped by the rape. Oh, no. OK, yeah, you're right. I mean, there was definitely a lot of, there okay. was definitely a you're lot No, of, you're right. There was, uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what drinking in, I mean, at the end of the day, like Mad Men style, you mean like come into my office, you know, the boss would be like, no, the boss would, no, 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 not oh my in an easy way. No, but like the boss, you know, no, the you boss would, have, would be okay. like, if we've had, if you're in a newsroom, like, you know, if you finally get the paper out the door, if there's been a very intense work time, the boss would say, come in my office, have some, you know, whiskey. Okay. So yeah. a little bit of a celebration. Okay. But it sounded very like, uh, I, I didn't know. Like no, I meant the, the, the staff, like, you know, people come yeah, in celebrate celebratory. Okay. Like a little, yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit of a, cel- okay, sure. Um, and I, I think happy hour culture is, it's kind of still around, but maybe yeah, it's still around. And I think in certain in corporate environments, there's huge pressure to participate in it. I just, but I, I, I would never. Yeah. I, I mean, there, the, I would say things oh, yeah. that I would regret. Right. In, 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 you know, today's environment, like I would make fun of things in a way. Like I remember when I was doing, we were doing these diversity <laughs> trainings. They should serve alcohol during them. And I couldn't, it was such a joke. It was so absurd. The whole thing was ridiculous. And I wanted to make fun, you know, like I wanted to, I, and I would have, if I was, if I was not, if I was drunk, I absolutely would have, I would have said horrible things and then I would have been fired. So probably it's good that, or we just need to bring back tolerance for people. You mean alcohol tolerance? With, um, oh, problematic views. No, but it's, it's that like, you can't drink if you can't then say what, like get away with saying certain things or get away with being more relaxed. Um, you know, using, you know, calling things retarded or whatever, like, like they're not going to let you do that. In any case, we should wrap it up. We could drink in this workplace. Have you ever thought of that? Yeah, but it's like 7 a.m. for me when we start. So, yeah. Um, I think that you could be a little bit more committed to your job. You're right. And start drinking early. Take a nap. Take it more seriously. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we've gone on for a while. Have a good Halloween. Yeah, I'm gonna party it up. Get uh, get um, loaded up on Twizzlers, Mm -hmm. Tootsie Rolls. I'm gonna hand out uh, vapes and uh, little whiskey bottles. (laughs) Nice kitties. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, All right, everybody, join the Patreon. Join the Patreon. Join the Substack. Yeah. You know what else. You get to see more of us. Yeah, you know. You know what it is. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye.